Welcome to this AI Group podcast. The ACTU has been running a campaign in recent months arguing, amongst other things, that the Fair Work Act needs a radical overhaul to restore workers' rights. Today we're setting the record straight on a series of such union claims. AI Group has described many of the arguments put forward by the unions as a rehashing of old 1970s ideas that failed in the first place. To get the facts, I'm talking with Stephen Smith, head of AI Group National Workplace Relations. We'll be looking briefly at 10 claims being made by the unions. I'm Tony Melville, Head of Communications at AI Group. Welcome, Stephen. I'll go through just 10 of the claims that we've put through in a fact sheet that you can get attached to this podcast. Um, There's quite a few others and other cases that have been run over the past uh, few months, but probably going back for the past uh, year. But the first one, and the one that we really hear uh, the most, it seems, in the media coming from the unions at the moment, is that casual employment is increasing in Australia. Is that true? Is that a fact? It's certainly not a fact. Um, Casual employment has been stable since uh, 1998. So for 20 years now, casual employment has been 20% of the workforce. Uh, What you often hear is this figure of 25%, but uh, it's 20% of the workforce, which includes all of the independent contractors and other types of work. It's 25% of employees, but again, uh, the level of casual employment has been stable. Stable for all that time. So so where does this idea come from then that it's somehow not and that we should be worried about the rising casual employment? Well, the idea is put around a lot by unions. They, uh, you know, they don't talk about 20%. They talk about the figure of 40%, which is just ridiculous. If you included every casual employee, every independent contractor, every business owner, every labour hire employee, you still can't get to 40%. It's uh, 20%, it's stable, they're the ABS stats, uh, and that's uh, the fact. Okay, well that's number one. So the second uh, fact that gets put forward, ACTU assertion if you like, is that labour hire is increasing in Australia. Is, is that a fact? Well, labour hire is, of course, a very important part of the workforce these days. It provides much-needed flexibility for businesses and also a lot of employees like to work for labour hire companies. But the fact is that the number of labour hire employees in Australia is less than 1%. Uh, and it's been fairly stable for a, a long period of time. It, it is not increasing. Uh, it's around about 1%. So why is labour hire such a bogeyman then? Um, it, it's hard to say. Um, what unions often point to is a concern that labour hire employees would receive lesser conditions than uh, employees that are employed by the, the host. Um, that's... Uh, not often the case, often uh, the conditions are fairly similar but the the fact is that labour hire does provide vital flexibility to employers and is uh, uh, often preferred by labour hire workers who like the flexibility that that form of employment uh, offers them. And when there's so much infrastructure going on at the moment, so many government projects, so many private sector projects and the mines starting to ramp up again, that's where a lot of work comes from, labour hire. Yes, labour hire is uh, 
prevalent in lots of different industries, but it does provide that vital uh, flexibility for uh, employers to be able to better match the demand for their products and services with the supply of labour. But uh, importantly, it's it's not uh, rapidly increasing as the unions uh, unions say. It has been relatively stable. Okay, and the, again, it's all related to it, but it's a separate assertion, and that's that independent contracting is increasing in Australia. That's a, another bogeyman assertion that seems to be putting forward a lot. Yes, and in fact, the level of independent contracting in Australia as a proportion of the workforce has gone down a little. If you look at the, the labour-only uh, type independent contractors, you know, the electricians, the carpenters, the plumbers and so on, they uh, constituted 9.1% uh, of the workforce in 2014. That's gone down to 8.5% in the latest stats. Um, and by far, the biggest group of independent contractors in Australia are those in the construction industry. It's far and away the biggest group of independent contractors. Now, the unions like to point to... Uh, uh, this assertion that independent contracting is exploding, uh, it's just not a fact. Independent contracting is uh, relatively stable but has gone down a little. So you're plumbers and carpenters and bricklayers and concreters? Yep, electricians, truck drivers, they're the most prevalent types of independent contractors. There's another group of about the same uh, percent, about 8 to 9% of the workforce. These are business owners who actually employ other employees. So, you know, you could hardly call them uh, uh, in precarious employment. They're, they're people running their own businesses like these uh, other types of independent contractors. Okay, assertion four, we're ripping through these, that a large proportion of workers are gig economy workers. I think it's talking about Uber and Taxify and all of these other food delivery services. Is that, is that something that's a looming problem for the workforce? It's not a looming problem. In fact, it's, it's a big opportunity to uh, create uh, you know, more forms of uh, employment and work. But uh, you know, we hear a lot about Uber and Foodora and Airtasker and uh, all of these types of what are known as gig economy businesses. When you look at the statistics the proportion of the workforce that are engaged under these uh, gig economy arrangements are well under 1%, a fraction of 1%. So all of the hype is, uh, is very much overblown uh, at this stage. So they're very visible though. You see the fedora-coloured um, workers everywhere. Uh, yes, and you, you do, and it's obviously a really important part of the future of work. Mm. But this idea that... Uh, jobs in vast numbers have become more precarious. It just is not uh, supported by the facts. Casual employment has been stable, uh, independent contracting and labour hire is relatively stable and gig economy jobs are a fraction of 1% of the workforce at this stage. Right. That the number, then the fifth ACTU assertion is that the definition of casual employment has changed in recent years and a new definition is needed. Is that, that this would be for the Fair Work Act. Do we need to change the Fair Work Act to make a casual definition clearer? Well, at the moment, the Fair Work Act doesn't include a definition of casual employment because casual employment 
is typically defined in awards or in employment arrangements that, uh, that are there outside of the Act. The standard definition of casual employment is an employee engaged and paid as a casual. So if you're engaged as a casual, when uh, you start the job, you, you paid a casual loading, then you are a casual. You don't need to look at the pattern of work or uh, anything beyond the terms of the engagement and the, uh, the amount and method of payment. The ACTU wants to introduce a definition based around the pattern of work. So if you've worked regularly for a period, you'd be deemed to be a permanent employee. That would be an absolute disaster because it would open up all of these claims against uh, employers for annual leave and personal carers leave and so on going back into the past based around what the pattern of work of a particular individual was. It's also completely inconsistent with the idea of casual conversion clauses which uh, are common in awards and they give casual employees the right to request to convert to permanent employment after a certain period. Uh, that recognises that lots of people want to be employed casually for, uh, for lengthy periods because it, it suits their lifestyle or their family responsibilities, their income preferences, etc. And that goes into the assertion number six, and that is that casual employees should have the right to convert, which you say they do have, but the ACTU wants it to be such that an employer has no right to refuse. Is that a reasonable claim? No, it's not. Um, the casual conversion clauses that are common in awards uh, give people the right to request to convert after typically six or 12 months of regular work, but the employer can refuse an employee's request if refusal is reasonable in the circumstances. Um, we, uh, we've just had a huge case in the Commission that's gone for the last two to three years where the unions tried to remove the right of reasonable refusal and uh, the Commission said that would be uh, completely inappropriate. There would most likely be uh, lots of uh, job losses if that occurred and businesses need the flexibility to be able to decide what type of labour they need. Do you hear of a lot of cases where uh, workers want to transfer from being a casual to full-time? No, and in fact, in the last 20 or so years, since these casual conversion clauses were first uh, uh, introduced from about 1999, um, the experience has been very few employees want to convert. They either don't want to lose the flexibility that they enjoy as casual employees or they don't want to lose the 25% the loading. Uh, when, when offered the opportunity to convert, uh, typically less than 1% of casuals have wanted to convert. Okay, the seventh assertion is quite a big one, that unions, this is the ACTU assertion, that unions should have the right to bargain, including taking industrial action across entire industries and supply chains. Is that reasonable? It, it would be extremely damaging for, for businesses and for the economy. You know, at the moment, um, industrial action can be taken in pursuit of an enterprise agreement at the level of an individual enterprise. But imagine uh, if unions were able to 
uh, pursue an industry-wide agreement and take and organise industrial action in pursuit of that agreement. Whole industries could be taken out on, uh, on strike uh, or their workforces. Uh, it is a very uh, damaging idea and uh, hopefully that will uh, never see the light of day. I suppose in the, we're looking at the CFMEU, which is one of the most powerful unions. They could, under this, take action across all their members and then now broader membership since their mergers. Yes, we haven't seen industry-wide strikes for a long time, um, but the risks are there. You know, years ago, around 1999, 2000, there was a big strike in the construction industry over a 36-hour week in Victoria. Um, you, you know, the damage that was done then in, in that dispute and uh, no doubt will be done in, uh, in many others if this, uh, this came uh, to fruition uh, is obvious. So very costly for the economy. OK, assertion eight, that employees should have the right to take up to 10 days of paid domestic violence leave per year. This has been a big case recently. It has, and the, the outcome of the Commission's most recent case is that employees will have the right to take up to five days per year of unpaid leave for the purposes of dealing with incidences of domestic violence where whatever it is that the employee needs to do to deal with the impact of domestic violence couldn't be done outside of ordinary working hours. Um, what, what this is a claim uh, for is 10 days per employee per year of paid leave. Uh, the Commission has rejected that claim. Uh, AI Group's view about domestic violence, of course, is it's completely unacceptable and the community uh, has uh, sent a very strong signal and will continue to do that uh, uh, about domestic violence and how unacceptable it is. But you know, the reality is different employers have different capacities to provide assistance to their employees who may be impacted by domestic violence. You know, what might be uh, able to be accommodated by a multinational organisation might be quite different, of course, to a small business with one employee who uh, uh, would have their business potentially crippled if that one employee uh, uh, was able to take 10 days a, a year of paid leave. Okay. Okay, so number nine, assertion number nine from the ACTU, is that workers should have the right to pursue unfair dismissal claims for labour hire workers against host employers. So someone who's I employ someone on a labour hire and then suddenly they should be able to get unfair dismissal against me. It might even be just at the end of a job that I've got. Well, at the moment, of, of course, with labour hire arrangements, the employer of the labour hire worker is the labour hire company. And that suits not only uh, the, the labour hire company and, and usually the labour hire worker, there's, there's certainty there, but also... Uh, the client that uses the labour hire company, it's the, the, one of the benefits of engaging labour hire is that the employment arrangements of the labour hire worker are, are handled by the, uh, the labour hire company uh, in return for the, the fee, of course, that the client pays. Uh, this would expose clients of labour hire companies to claims from 
labour hire workers and their uh, uh, representatives, uh, it's completely inconsistent with the concept of labour hire. Okay. And the final one, 10, a uh, big one if you like, and that is that the Fair Work Act 2009, which is the current Fair Work Act, is unfair upon workers and unfair upon unions. Is that correct? Well, you, you, we need to think, of course, about what the Fair Work Act is. The Fair Work Act was introduced by the Labor government in 2009. It was a significant, you know, very significant winding back of the previous uh, laws that were a lot friendlier to, to business than the Fair Work Act is. At the time, AI Group uh, counted up about 100 areas where unions uh, and uh, workers uh, obtained more power and entitlements under the Fair Work Act than what they had prior to the Fair Work Act. So it was a very uh, union-friendly piece of legislation, if you like. After 2009, the Act has been varied by the, uh, the Labor government initially and by the current coalition uh, government uh, on several occasions to increase entitlements for employees and to increase powers for unions, for example, expanding the right of entry laws. There have been almost no changes of benefit to, to business, certainly uh, no uh, significant changes. So the idea that the Fair Work Act is unfair to workers and unions is, uh, is ridiculous. The, the ACTU, uh, under this uh, campaign slogan of change the rules, is trying to convince everyone that the Fair Work Act is unfair, which is a ridiculous proposition and needs to be uh, understood as such. OK. Well, thanks for that. That's been a snapshot of ten, of 10 of the assertions put forward by the ACT and unions generally in the last few months. Um, there's, there's many more out there that we can look at at a later time. But that's uh, all for now. Thanks, Stephen Smith, Head of National Workplace Relations at AI Group. There's a fact sheet on these issues available on our website, linked to this podcast, or at aigroup.com.au forward slash podcasts. That's all for now. Thank you.